Hello, everyone. Stay tuned after the episode for a special announcement. Hey, quick spoiler notice for today's episode about The Last of Us Part 2. The first portion of the episode, we discuss the game's aesthetics, gameplay, and themes, but we don't spoil anything specific story-wise. Then, in the second portion, after we take a break, we get into the story, and there are spoilers for the entire game, including the ending. The timestamps for when those discussions begin are included in the episode description. Okay, enjoy the show? We massacre infected and explore the grim realities of revenge in Naughty Dog's The Last of Us Part 2 this week on How Did This Get Played? Welcome to How Did This Get Played, the show where we discuss the worst and weirdest video games of all time. I'm Nick Weiger, along with Heather Ann Campbell. I'm Heather Ann Campbell, alongside Matt Apodaca. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. And welcome back, Bucket. (laughs) So I've been soliciting catchphrases online to go with Heather and Matt's uh, because I don't have one of my own. Uh, And you guys have been replying with them. This one's from Rick Cannon on Instagram. Heather and Matt are cool. So that's the one that Matt suggested I say on the first episode when I solicited these. And then, Rick, you just said the same thing. So I'm looking for a new original catchphrase. I think next week we'll probably, you guys will pick it up. It's a new thing. Uh, But just don't say exactly the thing I, the thing that, that was just an example that Matt said, Heather and Matt are cool. That's not my thing. So, yeah, just something to think about. You just said it again. So that uh-huh. was the second time you have said it. And right. I don't know, as someone with a catchphrase, can I just tell you something that like when you say something every week, it does sort of become your catchphrase. It's like the thing you said. So you have said it twice so far. OK, well, but I am looking for a new one. Like, that's why I've said it <laughs> twice, but I would like a new I would like it. So just just if you got a suggestion, uh, hit us up on social media. Great. Uh, hey, Heather. Hey, Matt. You know, we have a lot to discuss with this week's game. Much, much to get into. But before we do, before we descend into gaming hell, and hell perhaps is kind of a, you know, a emotional place, an emotional place, yes, yeah. with this week's game. Uh, it is time, as we always do, to spend 70 seconds in gaming heaven. Matt, count us off. Go for it. So after playing this week's game through a couple of times, I decided today... For the hell of it to fire up Uncharted, which is, you know, Naughty Dog's big breakout from back in the day. Uh, And I had not played it since it released, or at least back in 2007. And it was fascinating to revisit and, you know, see that some of the concepts that are still in, that are in The Last of Us 2, like, were seated in Uncharted 1. Like, there's, like, a direct line from... Uh, hey, you know, Sully is going to pull a chain 
to bring this door up, to bring this rolling door up, and then I am going to roll a cart underneath it to prop the door open, and then he is going to roll under the door, and then the cart is going to break to backgate us. It's like, you see that exact same mechanic in, uh, in, in The Last of Us 2. Obviously, tonally a very different game, but I was just like, this is like, this is kind of fascinating how, how much of this was present uh, you know, 13, 14 years ago when this franchise, when that franchise was being launched. Did you guys ever mess around with the Uncharted games? Yeah, I played all the Uncharted's, including the Vita one. Uh, and, wow. uh, I, um, I mean, they're fun. They're yeah, fine. Yeah, they're fun. Time's up. You don't think about them much after you're done. Oh, Whereas it's up. The Last of Us, and we're done. Well, hey, a game we'll all be thinking of as you were just about to say, Heather, The Last of Us Part 2, which we're going to jump right into, uh, released June 19th of this year, 2020, developed by Naughty Dog, uh, and uh, sold 4 million units release weekend, rapturously received, I'd say, by game critics, but a pretty polarized reaction from gamers, a lot of people rebelling against its story de uh, decisions, which we will get into in the latter half of this episode. Uh, but I thought we'd begin here by just talking about the gameplay of the Last of Us Part Two, because there is a lot that we can discuss in terms of how it deviates from slash builds upon the Last of Us Part One without getting into full on, you know, massive story spoiler territory for people who haven't got a chance to play it through yet. I guess we'll start here. Like, what were your? I know we'll ultimately get to our ratings, but we've all spent time with this game. We've all finished it. I've played through it twice and platinumed it, which I never do with a game. Uh, but uh, I've spent a lot of time with it, and I, I just want to know, like, what, what was your guys' overall reaction to it? I mean, how do you feel in general? So the final time I played The Last of Us Part 1, I played it on grounded difficulty. Uh, and because I played through Part 2 with Mary, we set it at normal. And I was shocked at how easy most of the sections were on normal, including for, this was Mary's first time ever holding a PlayStation controller. Like the number of buttons on every surface of a PlayStation controller, like there's buttons on the back. And if right. you haven't held a PlayStation controller, you're like, Jesus, every part of my hand is activated on this thing. But I'll say it from a combat perspective. She completed the final compound on normal. And I thought that I, I swear my first time through last of us part one on normal setting, the game was much more punishing and that there were difficulty spikes that were just sudden and relentless. Whereas with this, it was sort of like a smooth experience the entire time. I think that's a that's a good observation. I will say I just replayed Last of Us one before I got back into Last of Us two. Uh, we did our Left Behind episode. Then after that, I played through Last of Us one on hard. Grounded is the hardest difficulty. Then there's Survivor, and then hard is is the one right above normal. That's the difficulty I completed it on, and it's it's pretty challenging on just on just regular vanilla hard. Uh, the I I think that the the normal difficulty in Last of Us Part Two, which they branded as moderate, and I think they did that intentionally because it's meant to be an accessible difficulty level. Yeah, it's not something I I I really 
I, I played on moderate and then I played New Game Plus on moderate plus, which is the the difficulty. Uh, they, they are, there's like a plus difficulty that gets unlocked for everything that you play when you're playing through it a second time. Um, and yeah, it's it's not really particularly challenging, uh, absent a handful of session sections. Uh, uh, but I I I, I do want to say the 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 thing about one is they really throw you into the infected encounters like just just you're getting thrown in, into the off the deep end. In part one, I think the first infected encounter there's like three runners and like two clickers and and clickers in one are a lot more speaking about how the difficulty has been maybe been nerfed a little bit and i think that's that's a choice I, this the clickers are a lot less threatening in this game versus the first one i was like holy shit this is going to be a problem it feels like in this one you can dispatch them quite a bit more easily in part that's because Ellie has essentially a built-in shiv. She has a she has a switchblade that she can use, um, so you don't have to worry about managing your resources in terms of of stealth killing them. Yeah, I I also would, and again, this might be because my final playthrough on it was grounded. I was also overwhelmed with the number of resources in part two. Like I was right. like, every fucking drawer has stuff in it, and not just. I mean. There were significant sections of the game where I had maxed out everything I could craft and couldn't pick up stuff because I had maxed out everything left over. Now, after I played it through with Mary, I realized that there's a slider for resource uh, availability. Like, it's not just that you can set it on difficulty, uh, difficulty plus. You can also adjust the number of resources that you can pick up and you can set it to automatic pickup. Um, which I think is really interesting difficulty changes that are available for Last of Us Part Two. Sure. Um, but I, I, it didn't feel. There were a couple encounters where I was down to like one arrow or something, or or, but but also, I I was playing with a, a an inexperienced partner, and so she would like blast like eight shotgun rounds off at a guy and miss. So like there was an, a, a natural and I mean, I mean that with all the love and respect, <laughs> like watching her finish the final compound on her own. I was like, fuck, yes, that's so cool. Um, but like at the start of the game, there was an artificial handicap that she would blast through like eight rounds of shotgun shells right. to kill one dude and then give me the controller back. And I'd have like a pistol round. Uh, it was is still a little easy. Well, I think that I, I again, I think that was a choice. And I think it's fair to say that, like, the moderate difficulty is not particularly challenging. It's meant for, you know, it's meant to be accessible to someone who maybe isn't even that much of a gamer. I think there are a lot of people who maybe The Last of Us is like a series that is one of the only games they tune in for, you know, like maybe they played The Last of Us on PlayStation 3 and then didn't haven't played a lot of games in between now and then and saw the part two is coming out. I was like, oh, I should play this, you know, because I remember liking that one. So I think they are trying to be mindful of that sector of uh, their audience. But also, I think that uh, I, I'd have to replay it on a higher difficulty and sort of see how it uh, how it feels, because there are a lot of very you, you talked about variables that you can tweak in the uh, in the accessibility that that affect your difficulty level. Um, and, it you know, it, it, this, this has famously been talked about how like how vast, like how much you can customize it on that level. Uh, and, and I think that I, I'm sure there's a way to make this game feel like the punishing, you know, 
a thing where, where you've got a, a, a minimum a minimal number of resources and you've got to be mindful of what you're crafting. You've got to make some decisions because, holy shit, I might not have a med kit if I decide to, to craft another Molotov. Uh, and that is that is a possibility. Like you can toggle the game to be extremely difficult. More enemies spawned in each individual encounter and resources on minimum. And you can get that sort of like desperate last of us grounded feel out of this game right um i just just for me i swear the regular and and you've already said this regular default difficulty on last of us one was more difficult than regular default difficulty on last of us part two yeah i I think i think that's pretty clear i i do want to say the the resource management in particular and i think this was a thing that even like this was a thing in Last of Us 1 that I missed in Last of Us 2 that was to me was notable by his absence is no more shiv doors, which was a cool thing in Last of Us 1 where you sometimes you would have to be like, OK, I have shivs. I have to be mindful of the number of shivs I have because I want to make sure if I finish this area and there's there's a shiv door, there's certain doors that you can only lock pick with one of your disposable shiv items, which are normally used to dispatch uh, infected that. I, I want to make sure I have a shiv in case I can get in there and there's a big cache. And I remember playing through Last of Us 1 on the, the first time on normal. There was an encounter like I finished. I was out of shivs. I didn't have materials to craft another shiv. And there was a shiv door. And I was just like, well, fuck. I just mess, missed out on a bunch of ammo and fucking resources. And then there's no way for me to ever. I just got to progress and just ignore this. And I do kind of miss that thing because what you've got instead is like uh, just a lot of safes. Uh, safes were a thing in, in the first game. But I feel like there's almost maybe an over-reliance on safes. Like, basically, all the resources are stashed away in safes, which have very bad operational security. They always have just, like, a post-it note that's, like, on the safe that says, what the, the that says like, the combination is my mom's birthday, which, by the way, is May 17th, 1965. <laughs> yeah, I, and you guys were saying that you can crack the safes by listening to them. You can, which I think is cool. Matt, you were doing this a lot. You were a regular safe cracker. Uh, you know what? I'm sort of something of a Danny Ocean, you know, and <laughs> in this in this The Last of Us. Um, but yeah, because like, I, I guess that is one of the, we, t- you know, talked about in the in the, the many ways that the, the game is accessible. That's part of the accessibility feature is that like they have, like a, a, there's a different sound in when you're cracking the safe, when you're turning the thing, it makes a different sound when it's on the number that it should be. So like if somebody was playing the game and they were were vision impaired, for example, if they could hear that sound, they'd be like, oh, okay, it's this one. So that's just like a built-in feature that has to do with the way the developers made the game more accessible for everybody. Well, and and also if you wanted to be savvy like you, if you wanted to be a regular Danny Ocean, you could just listen for that. And 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 anyone who's who hasn't played the game uh, but is maybe curious, so it'll be a kind of feeling like when you're normally clicking through it, you'll kind of hear like, and then when you get on when you land on the right number, you'll hear a getting warmer. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll just be like a subtle clue, yeah. That that's... maybe you could have the right that you might be on the right combination right there. Yeah, and then when you get it, when it unlocks, it goes, who are you, Danny Ocean? <laughs> None of that happens. <laughs> oh, sorry, we shouldn't have, we shouldn't have, we should have said spoiler before we said that No, stuff. none yeah. of that. Sorry. That's not in that game. That's Heather's not. Heather's right. It's not in the game. This isn't a spoiler. Heather's no, right. No, no, no now you're Santa's pretending. Santa's real. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, so the, I, I do want to talk, though, a little bit about uh, the difficulty aside. 
I really like how the movement and combat have been expanded and refined in this game. One thing that I was skeptical about when it was introduced in the tutorial is jumping. Because I was like, ah, fuck, I kind of like that there wasn't jumping in the first one. There's just kind of vaulting over obstacles. But I think jumping is well done. And there are some sections uh, like where you have to make like a running jump uh, where it's like, you know, it, it it feels like, oh, shit, I don't think I can quite bridge this gap. And when you make the the jump, it feels like very, very tense and, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're the player character jumping and like like just barely grasping yeah. onto the edge of it and pulling themselves up. I was like, oh, this is cool. And this makes it feel like there's some uh, there's some actual stakes outside of just the combat scenarios. Yeah, no, I I mean, mechanically, the scrambly, jumpy fall on the ground and, and shimmy fall on your back to throw things like there was a lot of wiggliness. Yes. to the combat in this one, whereas the last one felt a little bit more like lock and click, you know, like yeah. snap to a cover, vault over a thing, snap to a different location, uh, a little bit more like Gears of War, whereas this felt a little bit more like um, like Luigi. This was a little bit more of a Luigi type combat situation. <laughs> Gooigi. Luigi type combat? Yeah, like a little bit more slippery. I mean, it was hmm. still clean. You're saying that because he's Italian? Whoa, no, not at all. Mamma mia. I'm saying saying it because he somehow manages to slip in each of these games, uh, even though he's not needed. I get what you're saying, though, Heather, because... Like, um, my experience playing this game was like, you know, I, I, I blasted through the first one and left behind and then downloaded two and went straight into it so that for uh, a few weeks, the only thing I was consuming was the last of us and right. having played both back to back. Um, I wouldn't say that like it, the game, fe- it, it, the game does feel like more fluid, but it, like, it, and I don't mean messy, but like it feels more human in that way, whereas like it's sort of like because the way the, I mean the way these, these cutscenes are designed too is that it goes straight into the gameplay, and I was like not sometimes not ready to be back in the game. Like oh shit, I better I better uh, you know participate. I'm not just watching anymore. So right. like, there is like this like they they did a good job. I mean Naughty Dog does this. Their games are very cinematic, and Neil Druckmann like directs the shit out of these things. But like this game felt so directed and so like c- cinematic that it felt more human than like uh, uh most video games like you there's room for error like you watch them kind of like fuck up like they're right. s- sliding behind cover or something or you know missing potentially missing a jump it felt more um uh, you know grounded and i, I th- guess i think it's important to note that that um that quality and that animation i mean there's a a pretty famous kotaku deconstruction of the work policies at Naughty Dog that 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 was published, I think, in March or maybe February. Um, yeah, this was that, a Jason Schreier piece, and, and it was just talking about the how miserable the crunch was uh, for this game and on their games in particular. So this anim like it's. It's weird because, you know. We buy. Look, I'm going to get fucking torn up for this comparison, but whatever. We buy iPhones knowing that they are not made in a healthy environment, right? And we still Whoa. enjoy we, we still enjoy the iPhone. My monocle just fell off. <laughs> but we feel 
<laughs> but we feel kind of shitty about it. And sure. Then, like, yeah. you know, if you're a if you're a vegan and you own a cell phone at all, that's a qu- there, there's there's like this gradient of ethics and morality that we have to confront every single time we purchase or do anything in modern society. And with this game, there were times where the animation was incredible or the environment was so lush and like each individual object in that environment was different than an object in another environment. And that you could feel the human cost of that in a way that made me a little uncomfortable at times, especially when playing a game about an ethic, an ethical and moral question. Well, I I think, you know, I think the larger the umbrella under which all that fits is, you know, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. And that's the a lot of workers labor under uh, horrific conditions. I do feel like the, you know, the naughty dog from what I've read of the naughty dog workplace and my own personal experience working in the video game industry as a developer, it does not seem unique to that company that feels like i mean we we you know red yes. dead redemption no, yeah. was was mentioned as another was another p uh, uh, uh rockstar got brought up uh, brought up as another place that had just miserable crunches and you know i think probably if you're an animator at a major video game studio you are certainly in better uh, a better workplace than someone who is inhaling covid uh butchering pork in a smithfield slaughterhouse you know yeah. uh, so it, it's it's a uh, but but yes you are right i i, I think the what, what i would say is that i don't know if any game developers listen to this podcast i mean why would you but i would just i will say that <laughs> we have uh, zero listeners just yeah. as a heads up <laughs> if a game developer wants to learn how not to do their job they can listen to this podcast <laughs> I, I, but I like having worked in a, as a non-union game designer and then later working as a union TV writer, I think the the is with with video games being the most profitable entertainment products that exist right now, it just I think the answer is unionization is organizing and empowering that labor that works at all these companies that makes all these fucking, you know, a million multi-million dollar franchises like your work is what's responsible for these games being this polished and this well received uh you know critically and commercially so yeah you should you i I think i think the those workplaces organizing would be huge that said all that said all we we talking about all the miserable toil uh and uh you know missed child's birthdays that went into this game there, the attention to detail is remarkable. This is one of the most AAA, AAA games I've ever played. A few things I just jotted down is like some personal things where I was like, wow, that that is fucking, that is cool. Um, I loved your NPC companion scavenging the shelves while you were exploring the environment, like looking for resources. It's just like, oh, that's just such a cool thing. It looks like they're also looking for, uh, you know, alcohol and, um, and uh, 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 you know, fucking uh, uh, bottles that they can use into... Yeah, and, and it's like it's like rags that they can use yeah. to to help craft things. Um, Ellie put there's periods where you're in the rain, and Ellie will pull her hoodie on just to cover her head, and it's just like ah, that's great. Yeah, she'll pull a uh, uh, a real Sam Porter Bridges when it begins to rain. Is that what you're yeah. ta- talking about right there? <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Um, and there there's a there's a there was an interaction I encountered one time on my second playthrough, which is that I was prone in cover. And a human enemy I didn't realize grabbed Ellie by the ankle and pulled her out of cover. 
And I was like, oh, that's cool. And that's such a situational thing. But the fact that that exists versus just getting, you know, shot in the back uh, with a hunting rifle is cool. But the the thing that really blew my mind, because I knew how labor intensive it was, every weapon upgrade. So when you find a workbench, uh, you have a certain number of, of tool of tool parts. You can uh, fucking upgrade your uh, whatever you have in your arsenal. Every single weapon has an individual animation, not just for the weapon, but for each upgrade. So like if you attach a scope to your uh, uh, to your hunting pistol, then there's an there's a, an individual animation just to see that take place. And I'm like, that is that was like a fucking year of one person's life to make this happen. And I don't know how much it, it's just like a little bit of extra polish. Like you could have the same effect by doing like the, uh, you know, the Dragon Quest 11 fun sized forge. And we're just going to see a generic sort of hammering animation. I mean, that's what they do in The Last of Us Part One. But they went to the trouble of like, like you're we're going to see a, the exact craftsmanship of putting more ammo um uh, uh, uh you know into your shotgun we're going to see exactly what that would be uh just cuz we can it, it it's kind of it's kind of amazing to see it reminded me of what i imagined was and this is my my theory this is not an an actual thing that i've read about this is my theory the food in final fantasy 15 is so gorgeous that i imagined there was one or two people on that team who began working on it when the game was first teased in 2008. And then they weren't taken off the food for the entire decade of that game's multiple stages of development. Because by the time you see the food in Final Fantasy XV, it is so much more detailed than anything else in the entire environment. Like every grain of rice is like the plates are legitimate Coleman branded plates lit by Coleman lights. It was crazy and really jarring to to suddenly be faced with so much detail in a single object. I mean, I took a bite out of my flat screen TV. No, you didn't. <laughs> like Square Enix. No. <laughs> it me a refund for that. <laughs> So uh, uh, other things that in the combat, I mentioned jumping, going prone, which, you know, beyond crouch, you can go prone and you can sneak wall prone, which I, I loved going prone. It stabilizes your aim um, and you, you can did. hide under you can hide under <laughs> short grass. Yeah, I like going prone. <laughs> what? <laughs> Think something, there's something weird about that? No, it's fine. Keep talking about mechanics. It's great. I like going prone is all. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I'll probably go prone after this podcast. Yuck. What? Maybe I'll put my mic on the floor and do the rest of this recording going prone. Uh, You can slide between narrow passages. Like there's just like two bookshelves close to it. You can wiggle between them, which is cool to see in the game. It's used for gating, but also in combat. It's like really like what you've talked about it being wiggly when you can like like there's like a narrow gap and I can slide in between here and then duck behind cover uh, while someone's pursuing me. It's just like I, I love that. And I think it added to the tension and kind of scrambly nature of it. I think we need to talk about the fact that you can kill dogs in this game. You can kill dogs. And Um, and they have a mechanic where they can sense your trail uh, through even if you're sneaking. So like even if you don't leave a sound, you can see your own scent trail and how the dog could follow it. 
Yeah. Um, and if and the dog then, really likes your scent, they'll they'll like float into the air and sort of waft towards you, like a cartoon <laughs> character smelling a pie. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's a choice. It's an interesting choice. Nick, you're making Heather mad. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not mad. I I enter this podcast knowing that I have uh, an empty tank of frustration that will get filled up by the end. <laughs> you there are dogs and you and you kill them. And if yeah. you don't kill the dogs and you kill their owners, the dog stops hunting you and whimpers at the feet of its owners. Mm-hmm. And that's yes. that's look there's a part of this game and and this will connect to story and I'll bring it up later, but there, the game is so violent that it is not horrible. It is funny. The mm-hmm. violence is so extraordinarily ridiculously terrible that you can't not laugh. Like mm. one of my, like I would all, like I would always snipe if there are two people having a conversation from like some enemy faction, right? And it's like, yeah, well, I guess we got to head down to the river. Yeah, we, we're we going to have to get some supplies. I think I saw uh, an overturned. Yeah, well, I, and I would snipe somebody and their head would explode mm-hmm. all over their friend who immediately would be like, Johnny! And then with canned dialogue, be like, they're here! And, and go into right. like combat <laughs> mode, which is ridiculous. Yeah. There's no way it's not funny. You can argue all you want about this and being a triple A, extremely serious experience, but there are just too many false game layers placed over this reality to make it emotionally effective when talking about the violence. And like, yes, the number one for me is two people talking, one of their heads explodes and the other one goes, somebody's here. Or, or, oh no! (laughs) Like, itch, if they wanted thematically to connect that violence to the story, that person should have lost their minds. Like, if one of you guys, as I'm looking at you on Zoom, exploded right now, Mm -hmm. that would be the end, that would be the end of my day. Like, I would (laughs) need at least one day to recover. Maybe, maybe like a half day at, at minimum. Yeah. I think I'd take it in stride. But, <laughs> you know, I've been podcasting longer than you, so. <laughs> um, I, but yeah, I will... you can throw a Molotov on a dog. Yeah, like I did that. I did that same thing. There was a dog. All and the a... time. But I, but I was trying to get, like, I thought I was going to get both the handler and the dog when, in one go. And, uh, but the handler, as I threw it, as the, as the Molotov was in the air, the handler started to walk to his, to the, their next position and so the Molotov just landed on their dog and just fucking immolated it. I just can't. Can you imagine just like walking your dog around and then it just explodes into flames? They're like, here. What on earth? Yeah, yeah and then immediately yeah. search the perimeter. Um, I, I, I yeah, it, it is like like you know, I had another sort of thing with an with an NPC companion who, if you get far, they have a lot of like, there's a lot of in-game dialogue, and I got far enough away from them, and all their dialogue was really muted. And then I was still progressing and their dialogue kept being muted. I was like, why didn't they catch up? And then I went back and they were just like caught on geometry. They were just like clipped into a closet door and like couldn't move. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is a despite all this backstory behind this exposition that is being 
uh, given to me right now. Like I am, it, it just made me keenly aware that I am playing a video game. Mm-hmm. But it's, it, it, but I think that that also speaks to what you're saying, like how the game deals with violence. Like I just think back to. You know the 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 story moment that's discussed is uh, this maybe one of the most discussed story moments of all time in Final Fantasy VII. Uh, not the remake, the original with how with with Eris's death. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, the but then but then the thing is like you've got that, but then all, making that make sense with Phoenix Downs and how they work in the Final Fantasy. Uh, you know that that's like a revive mechanic. It's just like I I, I you just kind of have to you kind of have to accept that yeah someone could be killed and brutalized and meanwhile i could take a shotgun shell to the chest and then you know wrap a bandage around my arm and my health is restored and i'm fine did you ever throw a molotov on a guy and barely get him and he'd half catch on fire and put himself out yeah that's fun i mean it's not fun it's because you feel like you failed but it's like a cool detail yeah that i mean the the game is it's too detailed but also still a video game. Like, right. They're approaching, they're trying to make the holodeck, not realizing that the closer you get to a holodeck, the less enjoyable this will be. Mm. And if it is enjoyable, it's a psychopath test. Like, right. the only reason I can laugh at a guy getting down on his knees and begging not to die is because I one, I know that the one time that I let him live, he got up and tried to kill me. And I was like, oh, so this is the illusion of choice in this combat mechanic. It's not like he right. was like, thank you. And then left, which would have been crazy. Yes. And then I would have been like, oh, my God, I have to keep track of how many bullets I'm emptying into each of these guys and try and save all of their lives while also completing the encounter. But because that didn't happen, like... It was like, oh, he's getting down on his knees and now I have to laughably go up and just fire an arrow into his head at like point blank range. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, this. So I, I love this game. I love it. Yes. But it's preachy. And that preachiness is about violence, which is extremely fun in the game. And I feel like if you're going to make a moral argument about violence, you can't make it enjoyable. Mm. It, 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 whether it's enjoyable or not, I mean, I will say I, I had fun like killing people and I had, I yeah. like, I, in the same way that games that, that, like, it's the combat is fun and it's rewarding and you feel like you've done something badass when you've killed someone with a, with a, you know, a, a trap mine or you've, uh, you've headshot someone at distance. But yeah, you it it doesn't necessarily like it attempts to make you grapple with that. But not every death is given equal weight. Certain deaths are, you know, treated as tragedies that really affect a character, and other ones you just kind of take in stride. And you, as the player character, are uh, it, it's 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 interesting. I what you mentioned about the going back to what you were saying about like uh like I headshot somebody, and the person they were just in mid conversation with instantly ships into being a soldier in combat. I, it made me think of uh, like like you know uh, uh, movies that have ty- that have talked about like the cycle of violence and uh, one that I think of that I think did a really good job is uh, is Unforgiven, uh, the Clint Eastwood film, and that one it really is like there's a part where they kill somebody and just like ever like it's just like all it's the, one of the bad cowboys that they kill one of the ones they're taking revenge on and then they're just all like oh my god they killed him but they just like live in that moment of like of like grief and like anguish and shock 
that someone has been gunned down and like and like like rage it doesn't instantly turn into a gunfight they're just sort of like 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 holy shit and then you also have the the protagonist grappling with what they've just done and because be, exactly your point because it's in the midst of of gameplay uh and because there's a fail state and because i have to either sneak past all these ki- these bad guys or kill a certain percentage of them or kill all of them to progress uh it's uh yeah you you don't get to have that same sort of weight to it it's it's like it's like a history of violence was filmed in a goofy way that's like you can't or like the movie i've brought up now multiple times on this podcast only even though i've only seen it once come and see is so grim it's so horrible to watch mm-hmm. but like if it was also a musical that had like a bouncing karaoke thing at the bottom of the screen and you had to like engage the the narrative in so i i'm i'm beginning to wonder if video games can't have the same effects as film because you have to make them fun uh hmm. and maybe independent games are 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 grap- grappling with this in a, in a more interesting way than this big triple a fucking marvel film of of grim death nightmare place uh but it you i there was this famous review that called it like the schindler's list of games and i'm like uh yeah but no because yeah that's a little because schindler's list is at no point fun like you can't enjoy that movie except to be like the lighting is good right like you you know it's, I, I thought that that you know that comparison was a little hyperbolic, and obviously comparing it to comparing this you know made up zombie apocalypse to the Holocaust is is an issue, uh, and not really a a, a a reasonable comparison. But I, I I I get like there is an instinct to sort of be like oh because this is because of what this is attempting and because of the ambition behind this, which I do think it largely succeeds at, yes. that you want to compare it to something that is similarly lauded in a so-called more legitimate medium. Right. And I think that that to me speaks to both game developers, but also game critics, game journalists' yeah. own yeah. Uh, discomfort or like, I, I honestly, even almost shame that like, yeah. like, like, oh, we're we're not respected. We're not legitimate, you know? But I, I think like I I don't know I I don't I I guess I I don't really know where where I'm going with this other than I, I'm saying I like think, I agree the comparison is kind of the, didn't really make sense but it's it comes from a place of like trying to legitimize your the the form by comparing it to something that is legitimate. I'm gonna I'm gonna swing for the fences here with a legit thing and maybe it's a really good idea, which is that instead of comparing these to movies, you should compare them to food, which hmm. is can be extremely serious, take a huge amount of time and be incredibly enjoyable, even if it is a very serious dinner, right? Yes. So like The Last of Us Part Two is uh, the bagel brokers, everything bagel of video games means that like there's a huge amount of time and attention and artisanship put into this bagel. But at the end of the day, it is still a bagel, right? That right. I'm. If I were to start a games magazine first, it would be a terrible idea. I'd go out of business immediately. You can't make magazines anymore. But if I was <laughs> going to start a website, it would be food criticism as video games. That's it. 
we found why I started doing the podcast. I have the idea. <laughs> uh, well, we have we have much to get into story wise. So we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to get into a story, a uh, heavy story, full story, spoiler discussion of The Last of Us Part Two right after this. How did that get great? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to How Did This Get Played. We are now into spoiler country for The Last of Us Part 2. Caution, you may get spoiled. So, I mean, let's just dig in. Christ, man. A lot of this was leaked. I thankfully avoided the leaks, uh, you know, but I I, I think this was, there has been a revolt, a a huge backlash to a lot of what what this game does Mm story-wise. Um. Uh, for various reasons, but the the big thing that happens, I guess, basically the inciting incident for the entire narrative is Joel, your player character in part one, gets killed and he gets fucking killed. Yes, like he doesn't. He gets he gets just brutally beaten with a nine iron for what seems like a long period of time before who ends up being your player character for the first part of this game, which is another thing we'll get into. In uh, discover before Ellie discovers him, uh, just as he he's about to he's he's near death and watches witnesses his execution. That is the inciting incident for what ends up being the plot of this game. Um, I I guess I wonder if I I feel like they probably anticipated a backlash to this decision to kill off Joel because I don't know I, I'm sure there's some. Uh, there, there's a lesser known game that has attempted this before, killing the character from the first game in the uh, as the uh, uh, to 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 kick off the narrative in the second game. But it, it's the first time I remember being it, it, it anything like this decision being present in a game of this scale and popularity. I I said a thing on Twitter that I'll that I'll repeat here, which is that from a story structure perspective. If if The Last of Us is a three-part story, which I believe it will be, that was not something said to me when I interviewed it, Naughty Dog, but I, I mean, like, it seems like classic three-part story. There's no way for Joel to have done what he did in the first game without paying an extraordinary price in the second act. Like, that's just how stories have to be structured. Right. So, like... The backlash, I think, towards this game is it's it's a it's an entitlement to a a power fantasy or an entitlement to to like an outcome that you feel ownership over. It's the same thing that that people were upset about in uh, Star Wars, The Last Jedi or at the time Empire Strikes Back, which is that like people fucking hate downbeats. And they hate these emotionally wrenching moments that are necessary for the hero's journey to come to completion. Um, So, like, I don't see how you could have had 
a story in this game without punishing Joel hugely. Well, you could have punished Joel in a way that lets, leaves Joel alive and lets the player control Joel, which I think is what a lot of people wanted. But I, but I am going to say, I, I like the, I, I mean, I think the decision, I agree with you. I think the decision makes sense narratively. And I, speaking to the backlash for me, I think that a lot of it, I, I think that there is some of it that, that happens from executing Joel, especially as brutally as they do. But I think that a, a large part of it is the Metal Gear Solid 2 thing where everyone was pissed off that they didn't get to be Solid Snake the whole time and you had to play this new character right in. I think there's a similar sort of thing to the other playable, playable character who you start to play a little bit in the uh, in the prologue, if you will, uh, Abby, and then you take over from her POV and replay the 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 section of Ellie's narrative from her perspective uh, at around the midpoint of the game. I think a lot of people were just so upset by that decision because I think even if you had, even if this was Joel gets killed, you control Ellie, and this was just a straightforward revenge tale of just like this is the fucking movie Gladiator. Ellie is Russell Crowe in Gladiator. Mm -hmm. uh, she's gonna he, he, gonna go through and get her revenge. It's gonna end with her killing Abby. And everything's going to be hunky-dory. We never play from Abby's perspective. We never have a boss fight where you have to control Abby trying to kill Ellie. I think, to me, that probably mitigates 80% of the backlash. I think a lot what? of people would not have to, ha would feel like they don't have to grapple with the ambiguity that this game is trying to make you uh, uh, confront. But if you're going to make a game like Last of Us Part 1, which is thematically on some level about female consent, and I don't mean to sound like a fucking academic, but at the at the climax of the game, Ellie is denied her ability to consent to anything by both the Fireflies and by Joel. And like, arguably, Joel is morally pretty much correct to do what he did because she has been denied that agency. But also he could they could have all walked her through it and then she would have been like, yeah, I want to. Yeah, of course, I'm going to give I'm going to sacrifice myself for. Yeah, for what am I clinging to? Right. Yeah. Like what? What? Of course. Like it would be insane not to. So, being that this game is not just a, a story of revenge, but also of the ramifications of consent, like and they and they do it again with Lev, uh, and, and Lev's character being denied his ability to transition by his religious cult. There's okay. So then there's. I mean, if you're listening to this part, you've already played the fucking game. Um, Lev is a trans character, and uh, Lev is, uh, you know, misgendered by his religious sect, and escapes it with his sister Yara as a result, and uh, becomes a character that Abby has a ma forms a connection with, and starts to, in her own way, understand the enemy in the same way that you, as the player, being forced to understand the enemy by being given control of Abby's character and having to see her perspective. And since both of those stories are about consent of those characters, I think that's the reason that that has an effect on Abby on some level. It, it, like, also, can I just side note? Abby's fucking awesome. Abby rules. I love Abby. Abby fucking rules. And I was one of those people who, when she murdered Joel, I, I said to Mary, oh, we are going to fucking kill her. We are going right. to hunt her <laughs> to the ends of the earth. And yeah. then, like, as soon as you start playing her section, you're like, oh, shit, okay. I immediately understand why this is going to be good. Uh, I love Abby's character. I like I like the performance. I, I do want to just say that 
When I was saying earlier about like if this was a straightforward revenge fantasy, I feel like that eliminates a lot of the backlash. I was not saying that this game should have been that. I was just saying right. like in ter- in terms of the what the narrative about the game, the discussion about the game is. I feel like that's what a lot of people wanted. They wanted to, uh, uh they wanted to, they put them, they couldn't get past the mental state that you were in. And honestly, I was in watching Joel get beaten to death by this character that we had not yet been introduced to. To just be like, oh, that's the bad person. That's the person that I have to kill in order to succeed at this game. That will be the goal of this game. But I, I do feel like the dis- the decision they made was interesting. Uh, to what you were saying, and, and this is, I, I was surprised that they never really address in this game, is why didn't they just fucking ask Ellie? Why was there no discussion at, and when in Salt Lake City at the end of right. uh, The Last of Us Part 1? Why wasn't there a moment where they sat down with Ellie and her uh, surrogate father, right. Joel, and said, hey, here's the thing. We, you're going to die, but this could this creates the possibility of a cure for a lot of people. Are you willing to do this? Any answer is okay. But instead, they just don't even let her have that decision. So I, it's fully rational the way Joel, even, yeah. Joel acts as a mm-hmm. response. Yes, it's it's Ellie's lack of agency in that moment is because she isn't able to concede to the operation, which forces Joel to rob her of any consent after the operation, because in order to save her, he's going to murder everybody. By the way, side note, uh, you know, Abby has all these flashbacks of seeing her father with his throat slit uh, in this in The Last of Us Part Two. But in my playthrough, which I believe is canon. Joel enters that uh, operating theater and lights all those doctors on fire with a with a flamethrower. <laughs> so I'm surprised that she could identify his body. Yeah. Um, I will say that the joke at the time that I said to the room was, now you're fireflies. Now you're fireflies. <laughs> um, yeah, I blasted you... that. Do- I blasted the doctor away with a shorty before he could finish his sentence. Yeah. Just like, just immediately. <laughs> I, you know, I so I got to that section of the game fairly recently obviously because i only played through it for the first time and i don't know if it's because i started to play this game and got to the ending in the year 2020 uh but when i had to when i knew that i could not progress through the rest of the game without killing those doctors i did not feel good i did not like that i had to do that because i was just like well obviously this is bad but i i wish i didn't have to do this i have to kill them and then Color my surprise when I'm starting Last of Us 2. The entire, like, plot of it is dealing with the consequence that I didn't even want to make. Right. <laughs> Shouldn't have done that. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what they said in the game. Yeah, I mean, and that is kind of a thing, and I think this speaks to maybe some of our first half discussion of, like, you don't, like, some of the stuff, like, you, the game makes you do, and then you have to deal with it afterwards, which to me sometimes does feel like I'm a dog getting my face shoved in shit. You know, it's like, kind of like, like, like here, look at the, here's this mess you made. Look at that. Now you got to deal with that, Uh, which I know was with intention. There's a reason they were trying to do that, but I I don't know. I mean, it's even, even if you try to stealth past every dog encounter, there is a minimum of one dog. You must kill. You must kill a certain specific story dog. Yes. Uh, And, and there is no way you can progress. If you don't do that, similarly there is a character i know because i i i just intentionally failed on the part to see what would happen there is a character who uh, a pregnant character who tries to plunge a knife into ellie's throat and you have to uh you know uh mash square to overcome that and then you fucking execute her 
And it's like these are things that like you have to when you do. make when you do the thing where you do where you kill Mel, the, the pregnant woman. Yeah, I don't. This was my experience playing it. I didn't necessarily clock that she was pregnant until the, the, it's like revealed that she is. And then they spend a lot of time in Abby's part where they're like, yeah, she's pregnant. She's this far along. And, the, you know. oh, they really that. I mean, that's kind of a, a dead horse that gets beaten. Yeah, <laughs> just like easy to easy to cross this plank when I'm, I have a lower center center of gravity because I'm pregnant. <laughs> yeah, and it's sort of just like at a certain point, I was like, okay, I know. I'm sorry. Like, I get I it. You're Why? pregnant. Look, if, can I? If I had been in the writer's room on that, I would have been like, do we really believe that this community would have allowed a pregnant woman to go out into the clicker infested <laughs> nightmare lands when there is, as we can see from Abby's like social reveal, a ton of other people who could have gone on that, that adventure. Right. Like it felt a little bit like, I don't want to say that. I think a pregnant woman can do anything she wants to do. Like mm -hmm. that's, you know, the bottom line, but in the post apocalypse, maybe I don't believe that she would have made the choice to like risk her. Like, I, I mean, like I had a, friend who's pregnant during covid uh -huh. and it was like terrifying for her like i can't imagine her being like now by choice i'm going to go out where the covid is and right. like really expose my 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 baby to this op this possibility so like what i'm saying is it's her fault man <laughs> <laughs> well i was gonna say maybe she was actually more qualified than anyone because she had yeah. the know-how and strength of her as a woman, but then also the strength of a baby. So she had mm. like double strength. Right. Can I say something that Mary and I experienced in the game? Uh, which is that neither of us liked Dina, mm. uh, who is mm. Ellie's girlfriend throughout the game. I felt like Dina lacked, and, and I, God, I fucking hate criticizing somebody else's work. And I know that that's the context of this podcast, and I know that I'm not a critic. And also normally we we deconstruct stuff that is like just trash. So it's fun. I didn't. I felt like she needed more. She Ellie's got puns and joke books. And Abby's just like a dour nightmare beast who wants to like fucking kill somebody and can't kiss people because she wants to kill so badly. Dina didn't feel like she had uh, an iconic personality in mm. a way that I felt like if if we had seen the journey to Seattle, more of it, any of it, and had been allowed to fall in love with Dina as Ellie clearly had, then like the way that Joel comes to terms with his affection for his paternal affection for Ellie in the first game, we would have been like, oh shit, I've got to, I've got to protect my girlfriend. And yeah. you never get that opportunity. And then when you do spend time with her, she doesn't like elicit any sort of like, like she doesn't have a lot to offer in terms of a personality. I like, I like Dina's character. I'll, I'll return to that in a second. Uh, but I, I do want to talk because you, you brought up something that 
is another departure from the first game, and that's the way it's structured and the way it handles time, uh, which we've already got into a little bit, but the first game is extremely linear. Like the, you have the cold open uh, with Joel and his, uh, and his daughter, and then you flash forward after that, that, that horrific tragic scene, you flash forward 20 years. And then from there, the, the game is spanning basically one year of time. The gameplay is separated by seasons. Here, 80% of the action takes place within a 72-hour window, within three days in Seattle that you play through twice from the same from different perspectives. And so it doesn't have the uh, the mass it doesn't have the time jumps in the same way, but it also goes back and forth in time and also uses flashbacks a lot, which we got a little bit and left behind. But basically, between each major section of gameplay, there is a flashback to several years or several months in the past from either Ellie or Abby's perspective. Uh, and that, I think, also is another thing that's maybe just disorienting from some pe- for some people of the the first the first game. I do almost feel like there were times when they maybe got a little too cute with that structure. Uh, but overall, I liked it about Dina's character. I really like there's a scene in a synagogue where you're raiding for supplies. Yes. By the way, that, another attention to detail part in Seattle Day One, which is the only nonlinear section of the game. Really, you have some choice in terms of what areas you're going to explore first. My first playthrough, there's two areas that have fuel. Uh, one has a gas can, one has fuel in, in tanks. Whichever area you explore first has the gas can, and the se- the area you explore second has huh. the uh, fuel in the tanks. So if you explore them in the opposite order, which I did on the second playthrough, it it was set up so that the, the gas can would spawn in the whatever the first location you go to. It was like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's a nice little bit of... Uh, uh, you know that's that's a that's a nice consciousness of what the players experiences and make it so they not they don't have to backtrack too much. But in one of those environments, you're in a synagogue, and Dina's character is Jewish, and Dina is talking a lot about like, you know, uh, 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 the uh, the uh, the Jewish people and about her faith and about her identity. And I was like, oh, I think this is this is all kind of cool, and I like this all. I, I like all of these character details, and I like that yeah. we're getting a little bit of an opportunity to explore this. Um, at least in this specific situation. Yeah, I'm, but that stands out as the the time that I got to see any sort of like, I don't know. It it felt it felt like there's a lot of pipe laid about how impulsive Dina is. Like yeah. when she kisses Ellie, and when you're in a scene that you don't see unless you've seen the trailer, uh, which shows you the scene. Otherwise, you don't get it until very late in the game. You're you're told, oh, that's just Dina. She's just being Dina. Like that that everybody like Ellie says, everybody in this room is looking at you. You get the sense that she's a bit of a party girl or that she's like the kind of girl who would flirt with other people in front of other people. Like there, there's a lot of pipe laid about that. But then you don't see any of that impulsiveness pay off in either poor or good choices. Like mm. it's it's just not. Like. You know, like in in Last of Us Part One, you know, after a serious section, Ellie's going to crack a joke because, you know, Ellie by that point, mm-hmm. I would not be able to predict what Dina would say after an encounter because I didn't get a sense of who she was. Hmm. By the way, speaking of pipe laid, how about that Manny, huh? Dude's a fuck machine. <laughs> Laying some serious pipe <laughs> all throughout that stadium. <laughs> anyway, I was gonna say I, I I get I do think Dina's character brought some much needed levity because Ellie's personality has shifted quite a bit from the first game where she was kind of this person who was she was this joke machine she was reading all the puns, um and 
uh, Dina kind of slots into that role. I, I guess uh, what I'll say in general, it, 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 I liked Ellie's companions. I felt like gave a lot more uh, life and nice diversions from the bleakness of the story that I was playing through in her mm -hmm. half of the game versus Abby's companions. I feel like, and Abby in general, I just feel like I like the character, but it was just so stark and so serious and no little, no, it all, no, it feels like rest from just like the unrelenting despair of, uh, and the constant violence. And I would have liked some more things to break that up. Uh, you know, another thing that 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 on that note, I think this is a microcosm of why I felt like the Ellie the Ellie half uh, for me flows a little bit better and is you know is is paced better and doesn't feel overlong. Whereas I feel like the Abby half does kind of drag at times. For me, the the microcosm of that is comic cards, which are Ellie's collectible, versus state quarters, which are Abby's collectible, and the comic cards, which which Ellie collects. You know, it's like you have a cool piece of art you get to look at. You have a character's name. You can flip it over. There's a bio you can read. It's like a nice little diversion. Whereas the quarters that Abby picks up, it says fucking Idaho. And it's like, I don't know, a picture of a fucking mountain. It's it's just like, it's like, all right. It, it doesn't like that does to me doesn't feel like I've got I've got it all uh, any sort of rest from uh, the world that I'm inhabiting. And along along those lines, uh, Ellie has a journal. Ellie has a guitar that she can play like those. Again, those are nice. Those are cool things that break it up. And Abby doesn't really have anything like that in her section. So it just feels like you're just fucking beating the shit out of people over and over and over again. What if they did make Abby play drums? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and at the end, they jam. <laughs> now, that's an ending. That's an ending we can all enjoy. It would have been cool if there were like, I mean, as long as you're going to fill this super serious video game with gamey stuff. It would have been cool if there had been like a fitness mini game because yeah. Abby is so fucking ripped. Hell yeah. That, like if jacked. you could like max out her stats by like taking a moment to like if you if you like pass like an environment and you see like two concrete blocks and she's like, huh, and like could go over and like bench those or some shit. I'd yeah. be like, OK, OK, that Abby loves fitness. I get it because she starts in like a gym. Like when you first see her home environment, she's got like a home gym. And I was like, oh, yes. man, it would be be pretty dope to be able to like lift weights with Abby. She's so intimidating. It was awesome. I love I love it. Yeah. Every time she was uh, every time she'd like choke someone out with her bicep, I was like, I'll take one of those. Oh boy. <laughs> I was just going to say about the guitar real quick because we didn't touch on that in the gameplay that comes up, you know, uh, at certain points throughout the game. And it's such a small part of it, but it's so goddamn satisfying. They like right. there's no reason that part of the game should be so well like like it's so fun to play and it's so well designed. It's just like a small little part of like her character. But they made that guitar one tuned correctly and that you could play other notes in whatever order uh, to play like a real song on and. It's just, it just, it feels so fluid and fun that I just couldn't, I wished that that was the whole game instead. Just kidding. I, I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I did love that part though. It was very satisfying. Mary was able to learn, she played actual songs on that guitar. You can like actually jam out on the guitar. Like if you touch the touchpad, mm -hmm. you can pick strings instead of strumming them. Oh. So like you can play actual music on the fucking guitar. It's crazy. Incredible. 
Somebody was yeah. at at Naughty Dog until like three thirty in the morning for yeah. eight months. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I I you talked about the gym that Abby is uh, uh, walks past in the early part. So she's at the Washington Liberation Front in Seattle. They've converted the football stadium uh, into this this you know this habitat. Uh, versus Jackson, which is where Ellie starts, which is like this cloistered, walled off, uh, you know, burgeoning um, new uh, a new metropolis. Uh, and I, like, I will just say, I loved being in those environments. I thought they were just like so populated and so alive and so yeah. filled with detail. And it was so cool to walk into the stadium and be like, oh, shit, they're they're growing crops where the football field used to be. It was cool to walk through Jackson and, and, you know, I like, I would have loved like an hour of side quest in Jackson, just like, yeah. just straight up, like deliver this loaf of bread across town, just so I could walk through it a little bit, you know? Cause it, it, I, I think those environments are, are just so, so cool. And, and it's, it's just such, they've, they've just got an amazing, they do an amazing job of building out this, this post-apocalyptic world and what it would look like when people start to try to rebuild it. I, w- I want to go back to the choking out thing for a second mm-hmm. and and say that both Mary and I were uncomfortable because, like, you're playing these two white women and you mm-hmm. are brutalizing a lot of people of color. And other than, like, one dude, Isaac, like, it, I, I felt I, I was uncomfortable killing it just it it felt poorly timed to release this game in this sort of cultural moment um well and i don't think i was over i don't think i was overly sensitive to it because uh mary when we meet isaac was like oh of course he's torturing somebody like like that was our introduction to our black Pro, like this guy that we talked about or read about through the whole fucking game. I, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I wanted to remark on it. I don't know what else to say other than that, that it made me uncomfortable. Um, I, I you know, this game has an, it, it's interesting for a game that so directly deals with overt homophobia and overt transphobia that it's just like the, like we're going to confront these head on, but the game basically has nothing to say about race. It is kind of race neutral, I would say. It's just sort of mm-hmm. like, you know, certain characters, uh, you, you mentioned Isaac, but, you know, like like uh, uh, Jesse is Asian-American. Jesse's an awesome character. Uh, Manny, who I mentioned, is Latino. There's a there's there's a lot of and and then if you just kind of look at the broad swath of generic enemies that you're fighting in the, the WLF, the Western Liberation Front and the uh, the Sephardites. Um, the other faction, the 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 hyper religious faction, it's just sort of like a pan racial coalition, but it doesn't seem to. I guess if you are going to deal with 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 people are going to self uh, separate into factions in a post apocalyptic world. Here they've kind of taken the disaster trope of well everyone will band together because they you just that's just what you have to do because people's numbers are so limited. But honestly, if we're in America. An America that's frozen in time in 2013 when this when the the outbreak happened, like there would be a white supremacist faction, 100 percent. Absolutely. Like that's the thing I, yeah. I can feel. We're talking. This is set in the Pacific Northwest. 
currently a, a, a hotbed of, of white nationalism. Like, I, I mean, and yes, that becomes an, a comp- very unfun subject to confront. Like, like if that was a theme in this game, mm-hmm. but also like we're going to all these places. It did kind of feel like notable by its absence that it's not going to talk about that at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's all. I don't I don't really have anything to add other than. Yeah. Whoa. Did that make me uncomfortable at times mm-hmm. to see. Right. Like a white blonde woman choking out a black dude like it. I don't like yeah. that. I don't want to do that. Like talk about violence and consent and like revenge and all those themes. I was like, oh, I don't I don't want I don't want to do this. This makes me real uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's something too that. I mean, there are we're still talking about the story, of course, but like this game, I felt for me actively made me make choices that I did not want to make. And like the, the, the choices that were, uh, that were uncomfortable to me. Um, like in the moment where, uh, you're with Jesse as Ellie and you have a disagreement with Jesse about what the next move should be. And you both split up. And I, in that moment, I was like, well, I think this is the wrong choice. It ultimately leads right. to, uh, you know, the the same path at a certain point but i was like i don't one i would never disrespect jesse he's too handsome <laughs> no absolutely not <laughs> i want to get his haircut ev- i listen to everything this guy says and then but to, but in, to i'm planning point, on stealing his look <laughs> oh i'm gonna steal the look i'm stealing the look it's a good look he's got a cool jacket great. good attitude yeah. uh, god we look like such dorks trying to dress like, <laughs> dress like jesse <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd find a way to kick my own ass. Um, but like the choice to not go with him, I was like, oh, you know what, Ellie? I think I think that wasn't the right choice in that in that moment. I was like, I don't know yes. about this one. Are we can we can we talk about since we're talking about choice? Can we talk about the final boss? Because it's a, spo- a spoiler. Oh, yes. Spoiler. Yeah, we're getting in all of it. Um, So Mary, because we didn't know it was the end of the game, Mary played the final sequence mm-hmm. and you fight abby as ellie and literally mary was screaming no the screen like she was like she she did not want to and also i didn't i was like oh, i i don't know man i don't buy that maybe i'm crazy and not, it's not my character and you know i'm not writing ellie but like it, it felt real unbelievable that you would find somebody crucified and then be like, I'm going to beat this shit out of you. Yeah. Like, I don't, I feel like it, it roars. Happened to Jesus. Through, <laughs> it, it tears <laughs> through so many layers of empathy that I don't, it felt false. Like it felt like there's no, I, I just don't believe that a human being upon coming across somebody who has been tortured within an inch of their life would yeah. then be like, now I'm going to kill you. My read there in that moment, because I mean, obviously she stops. Right. You know, it becomes, you know, another one more death becomes too many at a certain point. Right. But she and she stops. I don't think in, in, in my read of Ellie in this moment is that she didn't want to do it, but she felt like she had to and then mm. couldn't like mm. got all the way over there and was just like, this is nothing like, I don't know, like she drops it and then sort of like tells her to just go. 
But I think, I don't know, I think she was sort of, I would like to think that she was sort of just thinking about the cycle of violence and then just sort of was like, what fucking good is this going to do? Joel's still dead. I'm still miserable. I've already betrayed Dina's trust and, and the baby. I've left that behind to do this. What the fuck is all of this for? Nothing. I think it's, I think it's really interesting that because, because they bring it up in this game, that the first time she kills somebody canonically is uh, somebody who's trying to drown Joel and yeah. then stops drowning Abby as the final action in this game is, I guess, it's supposed to be something you think about in the game. Mm. Well, I'm thinking about it now. <laughs> we, okay. I, I, I will say that that I, I think from the perspective of thinking of this, uh, you know, what is the developer trying to say by this sequence? And I think I think the, the way I thought about controlling both Ellie and Abby in my second playthrough is like I'm kind of trying my best as the engineer driving a train that is out of control. You know, I'm just Hi. like there's there's only so much I can do. But at the end of the day, th this train is going to do what it's going to do. And you see it at the point where, like, when Abby goes to fucking, uh, there's there's early boss. I'm curious Mary's reaction to Abby to controlling Abby fighting Ellie because that's another thing that happens earlier in the game. But like, that's like a thing of just like I would not do this as the player. As the player, I'd not choose to do this, but mm -hmm. because I am piloting this character who is driven mad by revenge, uh, you know, which is really just like what the whole game is about is just like the fixation of revenge driving you completely. Uh, off your rocker and driving you to do things that are thoroughly irrational, then I just have to try to like navigate this moment given that constraint. I think it's worth noting Mary did not play The Last of Us Part One, mm -hmm. so she was Team Abby almost from the creation of Abby. Wow, um, which was really interesting. She didn't want to kill Ellie, I don't think, but more than that, did not want to kill Abby. And the only time she was screaming in terror was when Lev was in danger. And there was, we didn't know during a, 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 the fight on the um, Seraphites Island, that was the most upset that Mary was in the entire game, other than plunging a knife into Abby. Um, I want to go back to the scene with Ellie, where you're fighting her as Abby. Because it was interesting to play against an enemy that felt like it had uh, player agency. Mm. Like it was smarter than Ellie as, as a character in that scene was smarter than any other. Like you were like, oh, when I play as Ellie, I basically have superpowers. I can like mow right. through an entire town's worth of people. And when you're playing against Ellie in that sequence and she's setting traps and shit you're like oh right because that's what i mm -hmm. can do yes like, that was really fascinating well uh, there's also i mean and i didn't like that fight i thought that fight was like not <laughs> i i just i like i got what they were trying to do and i understood it but to me it felt like you know, pretty much the only encounter I didn't love in The Last of Us Part 1 is the fight with the cannibal David, because mm. I just feel like they were like trying to steer you towards, we want to make sure you are playing this encounter this specific way so that we mm. can hit these scripted beats that we have cutscenes for. And it felt like a similar sort of thing with this fight of like, I have to do this specific thing, whereas the whole game has been about like, I can choose, I have this play field 
uh, and I can make my own strategic choices in terms of what, how I'm going to approach this encounter and how I'm going to dispatch these enemies. But yeah, things like 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 you're right in that in that setting, every other enemy in the game, uh, human and infected, you can stagger by throwing a brick or bottle at them. If you do that to Ellie and then approach her and try to melee her, she will just fucking murk you and then shoot you in the face with a shotgun. Yeah, uh, which is perhaps the most gnarly death animation in the game. I don't know if you, 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 either of you witnessed this, but Ellie shooting Abby in the face point blank with a shotgun uh, <laughs> is just so yeah. fucking oh, no. violent. There were a few times I, that happened to me, but there were a few times throughout the game where I mean, we talked about the violence throughout the game like some of it being fun there are a, a good chunk of times where i went oh and like just yeah. like, had to like just was like just repulsed by what i just seen like the guy with the hammer um when you're abby um to when you finish that fight you because you've slashed his face and sort of like unhinged his jaw a little bit to yeah. win that fight you grab his open wound in his jaw and like pull his face apart and yeah. then kill him and it's i it was like what a what is what did what have we done? What we, how far have we come? What are we doing? <laughs> like, can you imagine yeah. showing uh, Miyamoto after he finishes Donkey Kong, being like, "All right, so you've just made a video game. Yeah, I'm going to show you what happens to video games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and showing him that death animation. I was so he just takes a fucking sledgehammer to the Donkey Kong cabinet <laughs> and becomes a farmer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're right, Matt. That that part is super violent, and I think that is kind of the thing. And I think this again goes back to a point that Heather was making about this being a game in the first half. But like, there are parts where it feels like it's punishing you in terms of violence, where characters are, you know, that the earlier scene where Ellie tortures Nora and then is like so uh, broken up and affected by it. There are scenes where it really affects characters, and then there's other scenes where it's just like this is just kind of living in gore. And it's almost like for the in the way that a, that a classic horror game would be like, this is kind of awesome, right? Like it's kind it's like yeah, the same, right. that that is the same sort of thing as like something that you would see in like Splatterhouse, where it's just yeah. like, this is fucking gore for gore's sake. There you go. I guess there have been. There have been serious comic books, right? But they're still comic books. Mm-hmm. And and. I guess in some way that's what this is. It's like this is a serious video game. Yeah. But it's still a video game. And well, a triple A video game, which is a point you made earlier. That that yeah. it, it's specifically this kind of uh, tr- attempting to also be a blockbuster entertainment. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like maybe it's just con- it, it, it's a concession. It's just like, well, this is what a video game is. So if we're going to make a serious one, we'll make a serious one, but it's got to be layered on top. Like a video game is a birthday cake and we can make the topper a really intense story, but you're still eating a fucking birthday cake. It's kind yeah. of what this game is saying. It's yeah. like, look, you're going to fucking light a dude on fire with a Molotov that you craft from a Kleenex that you found in a drawer at a dog store. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to explode someone with the with an arrow that you've attached like an explosive to and you'll see their entrails go everywhere. <laughs> I never I, I can't believe I never made the explosive arrows. Oh, my I God. You're missing out. It. I was just telling a friend of mine who's playing through it right now and texting me his thoughts as he's playing it because I'm done with it already. I said when he got to the exploding arrows for the first time, I said, just take this advice. 
don't be shy with those. Like, just yes. go nuts <laughs> with those things. Our buddy Tim Neenan on Twitter had a yeah. thing of like, we were just talking about just, you know, you're going to feel like you have to save your explosive arrows for something. You don't just use the explosive arrows. They're so and I think that's that's good advice, at least on normal difficulty. Uh, my second playthrough. So the last sequence, which is what ultimately leads to, you know, Abby's being crucified in the pillars. And then Ellie fights her. Ellie uh, lets her and Lev leave on a boat and goes her own separate direction. But there you you beat this fat this faction, uh, the Rattlers, who are who are newly introduced towards the end of it. To me, it kind of felt like the the neo Nazis in at the end of Breaking Bad. Yeah, it's just like this is a That's final ex- faction. Exactly what Mary said. Yeah, this this here's some unrepentant psychopaths that will take us home to the final story beat uh, because there is there is nothing redeeming about the 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 Rattlers. They are fucking uh, they are monsters. Uh, they are they're imprisoning and enslaving and torturing people. And um, I guess. Uh, oh, by the way, I think when you look in the model viewer, uh, their weapons and stuff are all police issue, which is interesting boo. commentary. They're fucking cops. They're cops. Defund the Rattlers. <laughs> that big, uh, that big Santa looking uh, Rattler, the main Rattler, does have a, a very cop physique. <laughs> <laughs> looks like an age progressed dog, the bounty hunter. Um, so. <clears throat> So that, but, but anyway, so you get to that section and it's the, it's like, you're, you're having kind of joyless killing for so much of it. And this is the part where just like, these guys are bad and I get to fucking kill them. And that part was just, I don't know. I don't know if this was intentional on their part or if it's just a side effect of like, well, we need another faction to try to to justify why Ellie would be trying to break into a compound to, to get Abby out. But it's like it's like one of the only parts in the, this game where I was just like I was just having fun killing people who weren't infected because I was just like fuck yeah. these people you know yeah. but I ex- I popped a lot of them with exploding arrows and let me tell you that is a real hoot yeah I like in that sequence too um, where there are tied up um, infected and then just letting them go oh, nuts and so know, fun attack them such a fun mechanic yeah so great speaking of that mechanic. Uh, it was nice to see its return from Left Behind in this game. Yes. There is a major sequence where it is clickers versus dudes, and you can avoid everybody by setting them against one another, which was excellent. And I wish there had been more of it in the game. Like, it would have been... I mean, there's two factions on uh, Seraphite Island. Uh, why not add some clickers to that mix? Just, like, have some, like... Fucking zombies on that. I, although I guess that's the point of having the islands. So no zombies yeah. on it. But it would have, I mean, because day three of the, uh, the when you're on the Seraphite Island, it is the only stretch of the game where you don't have any interactions with infected at all. It's yeah. all it's all human enemies. Uh, I, I will say, yeah, because they have that, sh- that sewer fight where you pit infected, you can pit infected against uh, WLF. But then there's yeah. also a, uh, on, on Seattle day two, just before you have the sequence with Nora, who you're pursuing, like yeah. that's another one where you can, you know, you can sick infected on these uh, on these mask wearing troopers and and fucking kill them that way. And yeah, that's that's super fun. I wish that I do wish there was more of that. And hey, yeah. speaking of combat, there's one thing we haven't touched on, which I think is probably the most notable combat sequence in this game, or at least the most discussed from my perspective. Uh, the Rat King boss fight, which yes. happens in for day two of Abby's campaign in the hospital, the bowels of the hospital. It is fucking a great boss fight. I just like legitimately 
had a lot of fun with this. I think it's scary. I think it's tense. I think it's got a, a, a decent amount of challenge. I think it's got a great second form uh, when the uh, uh, the stalker busts out of it, and and now you've got a second enemy to go against. Like, I, I, and it's fun as hell to fucking lay into with a flamethrower. Yeah. Oh. Someone skeptical. Um, I mean, I thought the sequence where Abby was trying to get out of the building that was just filling when infected, uh, and there they eventually you climb over a car to get grabbed by Lev. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was a more challenging fight than the Rat King, which was just sort of run away. Turn around, blast it with everything that you have, run away. Like it didn't feel I I believe I only failed that encounter once. Mm. And it it I, I I I was I was unsatisfied by the by the by that fight. Uh, I I think that for me it was scary enough where Yes, not the most challenging. This isn't something you'd see in a. This is not what you'd experience in a From Software game. This is not the most challenging boss fight of all time. Uh, but it is. It, it's just like it, the character design is so cool with these. Yeah. It's multiple faces. It's big blobby body. Uh, looks like the huddle from Inside, which we played recently. Mm-hmm. Just yep. this big yep. like mass of flesh and limbs. It's like when Steve Bannon takes his shirt off and uh, it's and like I love that character design and it's so legitimately scary when it gets close to you and then having to like, you know, vault over something, bust through a window and and run the other direction. I don't know. It gave me it was just enough tension where I really enjoyed that. fight. I agree. There are more challenging sequences in the game, but I think it's very cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you saw that in a horror movie, you'd be like, oh, cool. You'd think it was cool. I yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's yeah. got like four dicks and you see them all <laughs> I, they're different sizes. I, <laughs> One is rock hard. <laughs> I think I died more times in that part of the game than through my entire playthrough of The Last of Us and it like in and the last of us too i died That's there wild. more so many i died so many times and a lot of it was because um i was uh maybe was more afraid of anything that i've ever been i was so scared <laughs> uh, i did not like the look of this thing it was nasty and then yeah uh you said you liked that the stalker spawned out of it as its second form absolutely not for me the stalkers are the are <laughs> Look, I, I the, the runners are scary, clickers are scary, but I can handle them. Uh, bloaters now, uh, shamblers are I can handle too. The stalkers are too much, and I hate them. They're too. They're stalkers are too scary for me. There were several those, times. Those are the guys on the ground, right? Yes, those yeah, are the ones like, that you can like see silent. peeking and hiding. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you can see them sort of being like, "Oh, there she is. This is Jal. I'm gonna get her." Um, and I, there, there were several sequences with stalkers throughout the game where I was like, okay, well, it's obviously dark outside right now in real life. I'm putting my controller down and I'm going to pick this up again tomorrow. I'm done. It is 8.30 p.m. Wow. I'm done for the night. I will not wow. be this afraid wow. in my house. Wow. Too scary. That, it was the only jump scare that got me was the first time you see a stalker. Uh, I was like, whoa. That was, yeah. It was great. Because uh, it runs past a door. And you haven't seen anything like it, and you're, it was great. That was yeah. an yeah. excellent jump scare. Every jump scare 
made me go, no, 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 no. Because I was playing this game by myself in my apartment and I was getting mad that I was so scared. I hate being scared. And this is the only, these are the only two games, the only two scary games I've ever played back to back and completed. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, there are maybe a few more jump scares in this game than there are in the first one. There are a couple of, there, I do feel like they kind of go to the well a lot of like you emerge to a new section uh, Mm -hmm. and then you're ambushed and knocked unconscious. Like that feels like that's a device they use maybe a little too often, though I I understand it's, it's utility. Uh, And also, uh, I I will, I will say, so we've touched on the ending already. We talked about the final boss fight. By the way, Heather, I wanted to bring this up because, you made this comparison to me in text, but we we're talking about Death Stranding, which I have well, I had not op- finished the first time we we did. Oh, we want to we want to wait on this. Well, so Apodaca hasn't played the end of Death Stranding, and perhaps oh, okay. some people who have. Oh, uh, I can take my headphones off. I let, no, because let let you're right. I want to just say I can say this: the ending of this game was ruined for me emotionally by Death Stranding. Uh, because when somebody makes a joke about something and then you see it sincerely, you, it, you realize why it's ridiculous. Mm, Right. And for me, comedy is always going to like rock, paper, scissors. Comedy is always going to trump sincerity on some level because Mm -hmm. like if you make fun of a thing like how do you get back to like unless yeah unless it was unless it was something you shouldn't have made fun of so for me watching because mary played the encounter i was like well it's this yeah uh and and yeah that kind of if i if i had to rank them Last of Us Part One, Death Stranding, Last of Us Part Two. Wow. Wow. Uh, I might be with you on that, although I love all three games. But yes, when when you've it, it is like you're right. There is a there is a meta take on a sequence that you play towards the at the uh, towards the end of of Last of Us Part Two that's present in Death Stranding, and it is very like beat for beat. Like, oh, this is exactly the thing that this is a comment on. Yeah, you and I yeah. discussed like I wonder if Naughty Dog was aware of that, and we're just like, fuck it, we're doing it anyway. I wonder if maybe they just didn't think it was an issue, but it definitely was in my mind when it occurred. It's like yeah. how I saw a scary movie before I saw Scream, and then I was like, "Well, why, why, why is Ghostface yeah. getting high? Yeah, <laughs> wasn't the guy shooting a load that lacquers someone to the ceiling?" <laughs> I really wish I finished uh, Death Stranding. I'm it's yeah. my new it's because now I'm energized and uh, playing games a lot more because of my experience with The Last of Us One and Two. I'm I'm gonna be finishing that mm. soon. I think. I think we're we're getting uh, yeah yeah we're maybe getting towards the end here, but I did want to talk about because we talked about that final fight, but we maybe didn't talk about the ending narratively as much in terms of mm-hmm. uh, going back to Dina, Ellie, and Dina at the farmhouse. Uh, it, it, we're, we're time jumped to the future where Dina has given birth to Jesse's child. Ellie is holding it. We have Tommy shows back up to the the farm. Tommy shows up to the farmhouse and. I really thought, because this is a game that, like Death Stranding, keeps ending and ending, and you're not quite sure when the game is going to end, and then all of a sudden there's 10 more hours of gameplay. I honestly thought the game was going to end 
when Tommy is showing Ellie the map and showing that and saying like, I think Abby's in Santa Barbara. And then then he goes outside to get on his horse and Dina chases him out and they get in a fight. And it and, and, and there's a shot of Ellie looking at the map and then it cuts to black. I thought the credits were going to roll right then. But mm-hmm. then there's a whole nother sequence after that. But I was but I almost, I did have the thought in the second playthrough. I was like, I almost, I wonder if I would have liked the game more if we'd ended at that point. And we just sort of lopped off the whole Santa Barbara section where Ellie goes to pursue Abby and and fights all the Rattlers as fun as that gameplay is. And we just left it with, is revenge going to consume this person for the rest of their life, which we learn is ultimately going to happen? Well, uh, 100%. I thought that was the ending. And I thought it was an extremely satisfying ending. Yes. Because I was like, we've seen both of their points of view. Uh, This is a nightmare situation. And now she has the life, has trauma that is untreated. Like we we saw that the PTSD moment with her in the barn and that there will not be closure for her. I thought that was going to be the medicine we had to swallow. Right. Uh, Was just like, yeah, but you know what happens if you try and go kill everybody. Like, so you can't appreciate your fucking wife and your kid but you but like i thought yeah i i do i do wish the game had ended there um especially given that the the third set of bad guys was so like un like it was just unintroduced previous to this right like you weren't seeded anything about like yeah and then there's the rattlers down in california those guys are fucking crazy like with as much lore as in this game as many notes as you discover yeah it'd be cool if there were like I was looking for it the second time I played through it and got literally every artifact because I was trophy chasing. Like I was looking for some mention of it in a, like a newspaper clipping yeah. or something, but there's not there's nothing about the rattlers until that that final act. Yeah. So I agree with you, Nick. I think I would have liked it more if it had ended at the farmhouse, not because I wanted Ellie and Dina to end up together, but because it felt more. It felt rich. Mm. In some way, like the the moral ambiguity of of that story, not ambiguity. I mean, it's pretty straightforward, but like that sort of it, it, like if I'm going to compare it to a food, um, it's a little bit like you were you were told, hey, you're going to have spaghetti tonight. And instead they brought you uh, like a single piece of turkey on a plate and they're like, there it is. And you're like, huh. And then the credits roll. <laughs> <laughs> Should we should uh, should we even do maybe we're wrong for this? Because, frankly, in looking for stuff to talk about with maybe we're wrong, the. Yeah, I feel like we've done an interesting job here of like talking about both the positives and negatives of this game. Uh The 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 specific hatefulness of the people who hate this game and the negativity like the social negativity of their takes was awful. It was yeah. awful to read. And I pulled a few and looking at them, I'm like, I don't think this deserves to be heard. Like, I don't yeah. know that, that, that I need to tell people that, I mean, I can tell people that people who hate this game, some of them, not all of them, some of them are extremely homophobic. Others really hate women. 
Like, yeah, right. Like I don't, I don't need to be like. So here's specifically the horrible things that they said while hating gay people. <laughs> like, right. It yeah. doesn't need to be said. Yeah, um, I think you raise a good point, Heather. But that's the format of the show, and you know what? That's the point we're trying to make here. <laughs> you guys have to live through it because that's what life is. Uh, no, I, I'm with you. I, I, I do have an, I do have something for, for maybe we're wrong when we get to it that is not a, a hateful thing. It's just like a, like an interesting excerpt from one of the many pieces that I read about this game um, mm. that I'd like to read. But yeah, we, okay, we, could, we, could, we could excise all the uh, fucking uh, anti-Semitic shit. Uh, I didn't pull any of it, but uh, it certainly exists. Uh, but hey, before we get to that, it's time for our review crew. We're going to say something positive about The Last of Us Part 2 and give it a numerical decimal rating. I just want to emphasize, because I feel like at the nature of uh, the, this discussion is that we've dwelled on a lot of stuff that we were like, oh, I, I, I maybe didn't think, didn't agree with this, or this didn't, this didn't connect with me. That even though maybe I had issues with some of the pacing and some of the story discussions, uh, and sometimes it feeling like a little bit too, you know, driven down a, a, uh, a tunnel versus like uh, having some more, you know, uh, 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 more choices that I could make as a player. Despite my reservations, I overall love this game. I think it's just like a, a, a an incredible, in, in amazingly ambitious uh, achievement. And I think it's one that that you know it will stick with me for a long time. One of those games that I will like remember so many story beats and so many encounters and will want to return to and replay in the same way that I replayed the last of us one. I do. I do prefer the last of us one just because I feel like it's a more, you know, I I just feel like it's a more um, cohesive experience overall, uh, partly because it's just a little bit more straightforward in terms of how, in terms of the linearity of the narrative and the 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 smaller scope of it. But I I I do love the hell out of this game and think it's and think it's really really cool and really creative. My positive thing, I'm gonna drill down one thing, which goes into the 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 attention to detail. It is so fun to break glass. I have like it is so it never gets old to like fucking break open a storefront with a crowbar or shoot a pane of glass with your silence pistol to to draw infected over there or smash open a uh, uh, you know a, a a a fucking vending machine with uh with Abby's broad shoulder uh, like it, it is so so fun. It sounds great. It looks great and. To me, that just sort of typifies, or it, it just exemplifies the attention to detail in this game. That there's one, there's that specific thing, just feels so good. Uh, I am going to give this game a nine point five. All right, go ahead, Heather. Hmm. Um, playing this game with my girlfriend uh, is going to be one of the things that flashes before my eyes when I die. Uh, it was an Jesus. incredible experience. Uh, th- come on, that's where we rank <laughs> shit. Come on. <laughs> that's my metric. Um, it's it was it was an awesome experience and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um I I feel like the museum sequence alone mm-hmm. uh and the fact that it was placed post Joel's death when you start learning that, oh, we're going to we're going to really 
we're going to remind people that there is another emotional arc in this game, which is Ellie's emotional arc about Joel and about her feelings about what he did and everything else. Um, The museum sequence alone uh, makes this game a 10 for me. Uh, It's a 10. That sequence is awesome. It's so cool. And and it is uh, one of my friends said that that like I wish I wish essentially said I wish Naughty Dog would just make a walking simulator because they're just like the the way they the way environments are built and and exploring things that are nonviolent in this game in particular are so so satisfying yeah and I I totally agree that museum sequence is a fucking home run all right Apodaca what do you think I mean it's hard to even think about like what to nail down is the thing that I liked the most about this game because like I mean. I've said it a bunch already. I marathoned both of these games and I finished them and I was very affected by them. I was very moved by the storytelling. I was just like blown away by like the craftsmanship that went involved uh, to making this game. You know, obviously uh, the labor practices of Naughty Dog and video game companies in general is something that should be examined going forward and just in like just generally. Um, But I playing this. There was not a single moment, even when I was not enjoying. I don't even say not enjoying. Like the, I liked that some of the stuff in the game was not fun. Does that make sense? Like I yes. was like enjoying that. That was what this game was making me feel. And I, I'm stuck on something that Heather said earlier, which was imagine showing this to Shigeru Miyamoto when he was making Mario and be like, this is what video games become. Look at what video games have become. I feel like this is like, this is like, I don't know where we go from here. Like, where do we, like, what What can a video game be after this? We have the PS5 coming out. We have, we'll have video games coming out until we're dead. Um, <laughs> and there'll, there'll be advancements in how they look. There'll be advancements of, like, how they're played. But, like, I don't know how, what more, much more they can do past this. This is, like, the best experience I've had playing a game. It's the best wow. like version wow. of a video game I've played. This is like a 10, like 10 plus. Like I can't even believe that wow. I got to play this. Like it's, it, I was just blown away by it. And I, I, it, I've never finished a game where the impulse I had when I was done was to start it again. Like n- right. I've never had that happen before. And mm-hmm. it was like, uh, it was just like such a complete piece of entertainment that I, I'm just blown away by how good it is. And the people, these hateful, you know, uh, gamers uh, who frankly don't deserve games. Um, Tell them, Matt. They don't, you don't deserve games. You're an <laughs> asshole. You're bad. And if you listen to the show and you disagree with that, fuck off. Don't listen to it. Like, Whoa. it's not for you. Uh, and it will never uh, well, be. I don't you. endorse that. We don't. Yeah, it's never to go down. If you any anybody who wants to listen can listen. We're hanging uh, by a thread here, April. Yeah. <laughs> but like you know what I mean? Like I don't know. It's just like not to be preachy or whatever. The game is preachy. It's operatic, of course. We talked about that when we reviewed uh, Left Behind. Um, but like the way that people are coming after people right now with this, it's just yeah. like so disgusting. And yeah, you don't deserve yeah. something this good. So sorry. 
Um, you know, you see how it, it's it's a bummer when people are shitty on social media. I think you know, obviously Neil Druckmann is bore the is bore a lot of the brunt of it. Um, but also, you know, I I Laura Bailey, whose performance as Abby is is really really good, stellar. Uh, but she's gotten a lot. She's gotten a fucking raft of shit. And it, yeah, it, 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 that's a bummer. Um, but hey. I, I will say that 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 you know I I hope that the developers and uh, the cast and everyone involved with the production of the ga- this game ultimately I, I think I, I mentioned Metal Gear Solid two earlier I think like that ga- like the the reaction to that game was polarized at the time of release but over time people have been like wow that game is a fucking masterpiece I feel like there will. I maybe be a similar shift in the last of us two. I can't pre- obviously can't predict the future, but I think there will maybe be a similar shift in terms of how this game is viewed in a few years. And I also think that regardless of what happens with that, I hope the, the everyone involved with this development knows that there are many, many people who uh, love this game and yeah. are, are fascinated by all of its creative choices and found it engrossing. Uh, and it's not just the people who are raging at them online, but Hey, Heather, Matt, maybe we're wrong. What? Right. Oh, right. Maybe. We still we're still doing that, huh? We're still doing that. <laughs> okay. Maybe maybe we're maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe But we're not. Maybe um, I'm wrong that part three is going to be uh, Ellie sacrificing herself for the good of humanity, uh, giving consent to the choice that she never made by joining up with Abby at the uh, Fireflies in. Santa Barbara. Hey, we'll find out one way or the other in 2027. 2027. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to read a little bit for for Matt, for maybe we're on. I read just a, an excerpt from this piece uh, by Chris Plant for Polygon, which I really enjoyed. Headline: This Last of Us Two epi- epitomizes one of gaming's longest debates. I'll just pull a, p- a couple paragraphs from here. The Last of Us Part Two is the culmination of this decade of big budget games interrogating dissonance. The developers at Naughty Dog, the creators of Uncharted, have finally bridged the gap between story and action, dragging the story kicking and screaming and gurgling on its own blood to align with what you actually do in their games. Kill people. The result is surreal, an expensive narrative experiment depicting what would actually happen if a real human being behaved like a video game character. Thirteen years ago, critics and designers imagined games would no longer have ludonarrative dissonance, that the stories video games would want to tell would align with the actions they demand we commit. But if this is the result, then you know what? I'm cool with dissonance. I'll take violent games that strive for fun and don't pitch any greater meaning rather than violent games that seek to justify their violence. I don't need more stories asking me why I love to kill things in video games because the answer is simple. It's what publishers sell me. What I want most and what The Last of Us Part Two attempts to be in brief moments are games without violence. Do the creators truly believe their story captures how people would behave that we're all a catastrophe away from forming tribal murder squads? Or do we keep getting stories like this because it's what the video games, as we understand them, allow? Until we have an abundance of AAA games that don't hinge on violence, we can't know for certain. The Last of Us Part Two suggests violence is inevitable. Sadly, that appears to be true in AAA video games. Well, that was... Wow. That was well put. Must be... It sounds like if you want to organize your thoughts in a way yeah. that uh, is appealing to a, 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 an audience, you should write them down as opposed to speaking them on the fly mm. while dealing with your own constant social anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. Yeah, that's why I write a full script for myself before every record. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Matt, it's time for the question block. All right. Okay, this one is from at Angry Bread. Are you laughing at Angry Bread? Yeah. Uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's like Angry Bird, but for bread. Angry Bread. I don't know. And that's What's it angry about? Yeah, if anyone is tracking um just at home where we're all at mentally uh in, <laughs> at this point in the run of the show with the uh how we're recording these angry bread very good very very funny i um, tell you i bet that angry bread is sourdough hey uh, well, you know that's our time <laughs> <laughs> it's upsetting to me that i knew what you were going to say um and that's just like it just sucks on a lot of levels, I think. Uh, I'm just saying this angry bread, it's not hard to get a rise out of this guy. <laughs> All right, I'm back. I, I, I like it. Again. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> okay, so this one's from Angry Bread. And um, Angry Bread asks, are there any games you like or pieces of media in general where their narrative is purposely unsatisfying for the protagonist or otherwise subverts the expect- player's expectations? Yeah, all of them, right? I mean, like, all, all of it. Everything. Everything. I mean, he's media, right? The question was media or was it games? Because very it, few games are, like, unsatisfying narratives for the protagonist. But, like, yeah. media, like, books, I, I, I never want, I want, I want to live in a perpetual state of, like, Oh my God. Oh <laughs> God. <laughs> That's the feeling I want all the time. Yeah, I guess it doesn't really like in video games, you often succeed, don't you? Yeah, I mean, there will be games where it's like there's maybe an ambiguous win or maybe it's like I've won, but at what cost? Um, Yeah, I don't I don't have a good answer for this one, to be honest. This one's from at very punny jokes on Twitter. Uh, In The Last of Us 2, a guard NPC is killed while playing Hotline Miami. If you were a guard in the post apocalypse, what video game would you like to be playing when you're killed? Wow, great question. Mother three. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hotline Miami also has thought like it's it's I'm sure that was purposeful why they, they chose that game. The character's playing on a PSP, right? Yeah. I thought yeah, it was a Vita. Oh, it might have been a Vita, Vita sorry. Um, but the the like it's like it's 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 a purposeful choice because that game similarly deals with the the idea that the player is actually what the player is doing is actually bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I mean, game that I'd like to be playing when I am killed, I'd like to just be feeling bliss. I would just like to be having fun, and I think the best way I, I think if I was just in the I was just running around New Donk City and Super Mario. Uh, 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 you know, in in uh, uh, Super Mario Odyssey, I'd just be like having the time of my life, and I wouldn't even care if I got fucking stabbed in the throat. I'd just be like, okay, well, here we go. Had a good run. Matt, anything come to mind? I would like to just be uh, like just wrecking half pipes and just uh, just <laughs> going ape shit in in Tony Hawk. Perhaps the new one that's coming out soon. Just going just in full. Um, 
what just like yeah full bliss and just like having the time of my life doing um 900s or whatever with all my uh special lined up and just having just wrecking half pipe shredding grinding yeah uh, it would just be so fun because that's my favorite kind of game to play honestly yeah i mean i think that i this is all just like we you know games have different purposes and it just being a fucking escape is what a lot of people are are looking for and that's understandable uh but you know that's not what you're going to get from the last of us 2 for sure wait i i realized my answer i would like to be playing the last of us part 2 where the girl is playing hotline miami <laughs> When I'm killed. <laughs> <laughs> Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Get Played Pod or send us an email at getplaydpod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 616 played. That's 616 275 2933. And a reminder I am looking for a catchphrase. If you're going to go to at Get Played Pod, something to replace Heather and Matt are cool. Uh, so yeah, if you can chime in with that, that would help me out a lot. And Matt, it's time for you to tell us next week's game. Next week's game, Star Wars Episode One: Racer. Guys, can I say one joke I had um, written for The Last of Us Part Two that I didn't get to say in the show? Can I just say it now? Because I don't know when else I'm going to get to say it. Of course. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay, here's, here it is. Uh, so th- there's a faction called the Seraphites. Mm-hmm. And do you think that was intentional, uh, like a reference to how Joel... And his daughter before the outbreak would sometimes have some Sarah fights. Like his daughter is named Sarah. And because she's a, like the teen, they'd get in some fights. So it'd be kind of like the Sarah fight. Matt turned his camera off. That's the joke. I... I'm so glad that my internet connection became unstable during that joke. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was more preoccupied with just trying to hear what you were saying than actually thinking I would be satisfied by what you were saying. Mm. (laughs) And you clarified what you meant. And I was on some level glad because I truly did not understand what you were trying to say. And... When you when I when I when I got to the other side of it though, if you were one of the doctors, <laughs> hello everyone, producer Matt here and. We're doing something special here at How Did This Get Played. We're auctioning off two different How Did This Get Played skateboards. These skateboards were designed by Tim Quick. In his, uh, you can follow him on Instagram at Six Cats Studios. He's got some good stuff there, so check him out. Uh, yeah, Tim took our art and put them on these two different skateboards that we're auctioning off for charity, and we're going to be donating 100% of the proceeds from both auctions to the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. We're going to be auctioning these off on eBay, and the auction will be live at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Monday, July 13th. So after you're listening to this episode, check your clock or watch or whatever you have, see what time it is, and then go to our Twitter that's where I'll post the link 
to the auction, and then you can go bid on it there. And uh, like I said, all proceeds are going to the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. Thanks so much. Thanks for